Good morning. We're going to be studying in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. Is uh, that sound about right? Not that we're going to study in Isaiah. I just can't tell if we're, are we on okay? Uh, the passage in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning is, uh, may not seem like it's parallel, but it has a similar theme to the one in Luke uh, chapter 5, and that's why I chose the reading from Luke chapter 5. Uh, also just wanted to mention, as you're looking there, just uh, it's been a real joy for Barbara and I to be a part of the congregation here, and uh, we just greatly appreciate the leadership here and the kind of focus they have. And uh, we just, from the very beginning, I don't remember when the series began, maybe it was this fall, but uh, about being disciples of Jesus, uh, we just love that. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it's about, isn't it? I just, uh, I love the, uh, the symbols up here, I love the direction, I love the focus, and so we just feel very blessed uh, to be a part of this congregation and uh, all that's going on, and all of you as we're getting to know people in small groups and other kind of settings, so... Uh, it's really been a joy for us to be here, and so thank you for that. Uh, thank you for your warm welcome to us, inviting us in, and making us uh, feel a part uh, right away. We just feel uh, very much at home uh, in this congregation and really pleased to be a part of it and thankful for that. This morning, I want us to think about uh, experiences. We are profoundly affected by experiences, aren't we? <laughs> Uh, sometimes I think I would, I just wish I were more mature than that. <laughs> I, wish I, I wish that wouldn't bother me so much. I wish that didn't change my emotions so much. Uh, but they do. Uh, my father and others of his generation fought in World War II and others in battles, and they often came back changed. And we know people have returned from Vietnam and other wars, and they're never quite the same again. So those affect people. We know that health affects us more than sometimes we wished it would, uh, that our physical health can affect our emotions and even impact our spiritual life. And so that uh, those sort of things, or accidents, heart attacks, uh, deeply affect us and, and cause change. So those are challenging experiences. There are also experiences, of course, that just bring great joy and change us as well. Uh, some of, uh, sometimes movies impact us greatly. I know some of you are looking forward to movies that are out, and you enjoy those, and those impact you. Or musicals. Uh, I've even got to wear a few, I like a few of those. Les Miserables was just, I just couldn't get over how wonderful that is. I grew up as a cowboy, and so I didn't think I would ever enjoy one of those, uh, anything other than John Wayne. But, uh, you know, uh, there are some other uh, entertainment out there that's pretty good. So, uh, but I was deeply infected at so much so that one Sunday afternoon it was on PA PBS and I watched it again. So those sort of things. The birth of children is a great joy, isn't it? Uh, just, uh, it's just fun. And grandchildren just are awesome. <laughs> I didn't ever think that would happen. Uh, well, not that I wouldn't have grandchildren. I wasn't expecting it to be so much fun, though. It's just, it's just a riot, uh, uh, sometimes literally. But uh, <laughs> it's just, um, just, I think God maybe has made us so that uh, when you have the grandchildren, a little switch flips, and all of a sudden you become this lenient person 
that is not troubled by misbehavior and outrageous things. They're just the cutest things, aren't they? And so parents have to deal with all that. So it's awesome. I wanted to read a story uh, from a uh, moon launch. Bill Moyers, in his book, A World of Ideas, uh, Jacob Needleman records, remembers, he says, I was an observer at the launch of Apollo 17 in 1972. This was the last moon launch to send a group to the moon. He says it was a night launch and there were hundreds of cynical reporters all over the lawn, drinking beer, wisecracking, waiting for this 35-story high rocket to go up. The countdown came, and then the launch. The first thing you see is this extraordinary orange light, which is just at the limit of what you can bear to look at. Everything is illuminated with this light. Then this, this rocket comes slowly rising up in total silence because it takes a few seconds for the sound to come across. And then you hear a whoosh and a hum, and the sound just entered right into us. You could practically hear jaws dropping. The sense of wonder filled everyone in the whole place as this rocket went up and up and up, and the first stage ignited with this beautiful blue flame, and it became like a star but you realize there are people in it. And then there was just total silence. People got up quietly, helping each other up. They were kind. They opened doors. They looked at one another, speaking quietly and with great interest. These were suddenly more moral people because of a sense of wonder. The experience of wonder had made them moral. This morning we're going to explore a text that, text that is representative of a theme that runs throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible. It is a result of seeing and experiencing God. And so I'm just going to kind of walk through it here. I'm not going to read it first. We'll just kind of read a little bit and then uh, we'll talk, we'll, I'll talk about it. <laughs> if you want to talk about it, let me know. Uh, that may be disrupting to me. So Isaiah chapter 6, we have this great vision of Isaiah. He says, he gives us a date line. It was the year King Uzziah died. And a simple statement, he says, I saw Yahweh. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. So some sense temple. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the Lord who is in charge of the armies of heaven. He speaks and the armies march. 
And not only, well, he starts off with a train of the robe. And I think what he's trying to do is just let us know, and I don't, this is too simple of a word, and too simplistic, but it's kind of like how big God is. God is huge. God is so enormous that just the mere robe fills the temple. And not only does the robe fill the temple, but God fills the whole earth. The whole earth is full of His glory. The seraphim fly around and my take on it is that the reason they cover their eyes is because no one can see God. And then why would they cover their feet? Because feet are symbolic of being unclean. And then they cry out, holy, which means separate, unique, different, totally. And not just holy, but holy, holy, holy. Three and seven are complete numbers in Judaism. And so, it's not just that God is a separate, different one. No, He is completely, utterly different than anything else. You can't compare any idol in this world to Him. He is holy, holy, holy. Years ago, and uh, I don't think I ever got past the title because I thought maybe the title told the whole thing. It was uh, a little book called Your God is Too Small. And uh, I assume the rest of the book fills that out. But I like the idea. And probably for most of us, God is too small. And if there's anything, you know, one of the big things, I, I probably, I say I have one or two, I probably have ten, I don't know. But uh, if there's one thing, if I had a magic wand to sprinkle dust on, a, it would be that we had a greater sense of God's majesty and His power and His glory. And how great and how God, big God is. And that's what Isaiah sees. Throughout Isaiah, you have this phrase again when it's calling the people of God back to God. There is this phrase, lo, or behold, depending on your translation. And then it, then it describes the character and the nature of God calling Israel back to this one that they've forgotten. Well, then what else happens? Verse 4, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke that would be terrifying and Isaiah says woe to me I am ruined I am undone I'm 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 at the end of me for I'm a man of unclean lips so he owns his sin and he owns the sin of his people. I live among a people of unclean lips. And it's, it's frightening because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's what Peter began to sense. In sort of a very simple way. They catch all these fish and he realized there's something going on here. 
And Lord, you just need to get away from me because I'm, I'm a sinful man. So, so in terms of experiencing God, first we see God's girl, Lori. And then, and then we begin to see ourselves, which is always a hard thing. It's, a, it's an awkward thing. We'd rather do almost anything than see ourselves. It's, it's embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> it's just awkward. It's just an awkward thing to see yourself. Our self-assertion, our self-reliance, our independence. It's, it's intriguing to me, it's fascinating that Paul will call himself the chief of sinners. My take on that is, nah, I don't think so. I think there are some really worse people in your day. I can think of Antiochus, Epiphanes, slaughters people, sacrifices a hog in the temple. What about Herod the Great? I mean, he's just killing people all the time, including his family. But I think that's how Paul felt. When he saw himself in the glory of God and when Christ appeared, it's just like, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. And it's not a matter of trying to feel bad about ourselves. It's just a matter of seeing things as they really are. Seeing reality. And how great our need is. And when our need is not great, then the gospel will not be great. Several years ago uh, in Nebraska, the women, Nebraska Women's Penitentiary was just outside of town in York. And so occasionally I went there. And I was studying with a young woman. And uh, so I, I typically go through a gospel, going through the gospel of Mark, got to Mark chapter 2 where the friends bring the paralyzed uh, friend to Jesus. First he heals him and uh, then he forgives his sin. And I said, isn't that the most amazing thing? That Jesus is not only powerful enough to forgive sins, but he wants to. Isn't that amazing? Are you amazed at that? I mean, that's just startling. That's a lot different than I am. One, I don't have power to forgive sins, except, you know, something you did to me. And then, a lot of times, I just don't want to. And she said, to my surprise, well, you know, that's what God does. I said, I don't think you understand. I think she was in prison for, you know, life or something. I don't remember. But to be, to be see ourselves as in this great need of forgiveness. And then, surprisingly... So, if, if the story ended there, that would be pretty depressing, wouldn't it? I mean, here's God, here's us. It doesn't look very hopeful. And then, what happens? Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. That would be scary. With a live coal in his hand. I would be wondering, what's going to happen now? which he had taken with tongs from the altar. The altar is the place of sacrifice, a place where forgiveness occurs. It's representative, it's symbolic. And he flew and he touched my mouth with this coal and said, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. What, what a turn of events. From I am ruined to I am forgiven. It's astounding. And quite, I don't know how long a time it took. It doesn't appear to it took too long. 
And so there is this then in the gospel message of how great forgiveness is. I think sometimes we wrestle with it in our culture because, <clears throat> you know, sometimes it's maybe overstated, or, but it seems like a lot of time, you know, our plight is understated and we're all pretty good as long as we don't murder anybody, we're not a terrorist or run a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> you know. And that's just not the biblical message that rather we are in great need and as we come to know ourselves we, we begin to see these dark corners in our lives that uh, are just kind of sometimes astonishing to us. I, I've, have I grown to know the Lord more uh, it's like I've grown to know him more, but also realized the gap between us is greater. I, I tell people, uh, I clean up pretty good. But you don't know how petty I am. It's embarrassing, so I'm not going to share any of it. <laughs> and if I told you some of it, you would think, well, that's not so bad. But yeah, it is. It is kind of. It's not kind of. Uh, and so the longer I've been a Christian uh, I, there was a part of me probably at the beginning thought God was just so fortunate for, to have me on his side now <laughs> you know Billy Graham just died I thought I was going to be the next Billy Graham that didn't work out for all kinds of reasons but uh, but uh, the thing I, you know, I, I, I preach about a lot about God's love, but the word for me is patience. I am just stunned by God's patience with me. It's remarkable. And so we have this great forgiveness and we have realized God's grace towards us. So we become different people. Seems kind of odd. Because most of the time we don't notice ourselves being different. But I'm telling you, the more you focus on the grace of God, when I'm thinking about that, it is almost like I am different. That instead of trying to be kind, I'm genuinely kind. I like that. And then there is mission. Once you kind of realize all that, as the church gets all that. And so there's, uh, it's like there's a conference in heaven, verse Eight, and the Lord, a voice of the Lord said, uh, whom shall I send? Can you imagine God asking that? Hey, angelic beings, everybody gather around here. Uh, who do you think we ought to send out for us? And Isaiah's listening in on this. Who, who should we send and who will go? And Isaiah, apparently taken up with all this, says, here am I, send me. I'll, I'll go tell everybody. I'll go tell Judah what a glorious God that I haven't gotten it out before. I, I'm going to tell people how amazing you are. How holy you are. And how forgiving you are. And that's what motivates mission. Realization of how good God has been to us. His mercy and his goodness. So the Gadarene demoniac is healed. All the demons cast out, go into pigs. Pigs die. City fathers come out because that's a loss of income. They want Jesus to leave. The Gadarene demoniac says, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, not this time. Right? Remember that? He says, I want you to go back to your people. I want you to go to your people. 
And I want you to tell them how God had mercy on you. And he does. He does. So a mission that is vibrant then, even in the face of resistance and minimal response to the goodness and love of God. So basically, to summarize, the Lord says, well, it's going to be tough, and people aren't going to pay attention. And then Isaiah asks a question I would ask, okay, how long? <laughs> how, okay, how long do I have to keep doing this? And he basically, God says, until the land is destroyed. But there will be a root that will come forth of hope. So, that's this theme that runs throughout Scripture. It's the good news. It's the good news of God's holiness and His mercy, His justice, His forgiveness, His mission, and His commission to us. It becomes practical for us, I think, so how does all it become practical? Because we don't literally see God. So how does it happen? I think one part of it happens when we see and accept what has been done for us in Christ. Bible scholar N.T. Wright retells the following story about an archbishop who was recalling the confessions of sins from three hardened teenagers in the church. All three boys were trying to make a joke out of it, so they met with archbishop and confessed to a long list of ridiculous and grievous sins that they had not committed. Can you imagine any teenage boys doing that? I'm pretty, I'm pretty well, I guess I'm still kind of ornery. But I was really pretty ornery. My family was ornery. I just can't imagine. Can you imagine some teenage boys setting, up, setting this situation up and thinking how funny it's going to be to try and shock some religious leader out of their mind and just come in and confess to all kinds of terrible stuff? Why? I just, that would just be outrageous. And so they got a plan. They come in. <clears throat> the archbishop, seeing through their bad practical joke, played along with the first two who ran out of the church laughing. I, I can see them going out just holding their sides. Just the funniest thing. But then he listened carefully to the third prankster. And before he got away, the young man got away, told the young man, okay, you've confessed all this stuff, all these sins. Now I want you to do something to show your repentance. I want you to walk to the far end of the church building and I want you to look at the picture of Jesus hanging there on the cross and I want you to say to his face, you did this for me and I don't really care that much. And I want you to do it three times. So the young man went there and he got through the first time, you did all this for me and I don't really care. Second time, you did all this for me and I don't care that much. He couldn't get through it a third time. Before he wept. And the archbishop said, the reason I know that's true is because I was the third young man. There's something about the cross 
Paul apparently preached in such a way, wouldn't you like to hear him preach? Wow. Paul apparently preached in such a way that people could see Jesus dying on a cross for them. And in some it produced faith. Paul says of the Galatians, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified. It was as though when he preached at Galatia, I mean, people saw Jesus dying for them in the love of God. There's something about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that makes us, makes us see God and experience God in a practical and a down-to-earth way in which we have, if we allow ourselves, a sense of wonder. And it changes us. When we have seen and experienced the love of God through Jesus' death and resurrection, we become different people. We are transformed. We are changed day by day more into His image. What a great message of how glorious God is. Unapproachable in His holiness. And yet, He reaches out to us and forgives us. And He says, I want you to take this message of my love to a lost world. First, I want you to embrace it. I want you to internalize it. And then yeah, I want you to take it to people even if they have a, a really hard time hearing it. Even if they have a hard time really believing how great my love is for them. And in part you can do that by helping them to really see the cross. And the church said, Amen. This evening, I guess it's not evening, I didn't preach that long. <laughs> this morning, uh, just in terms, I, I think it's sometimes helpful to just have to wait to respond. And so this isn't really an invitation song, uh, but we are going to sing a song just to respond to the Lord, and then we'll have a closing prayer. Let's stand and sing.